Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's a party, so grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. It was a super busy week this past week. Just to keep you all in the loop on some of the environmental things that happened and some of the conservative political things that happened, the Prudit Act passed the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee with a bipartisan majority vote of 15 to 4. How are we feeling about that, gang? I mean, nice to see bipartisan agreement getting something done. I know. You, you know what? I feel like it's just so nice about seeing that kind of stuff. Is I truly think that in the government and in Congress, environmental things are not nearly as polarized as they are in, like, you know, layman's mind, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, me and Zach were talking. It's quite the blessing to see something bipartisan pass in the year of our Lord 2024. So, is it? Hopefully, this is an indicator of things to come. And for some of our non-policy wonks, which is probably like everybody else, just to keep you up to date on what this bill does, this bill would require the energy department to study the amount of carbon pollution that is created during the production of certain products made here in the U.S., and then it compares that pollution release rate to other countries. So PREVIT actually stands for Providing Reliable, Objective, Verifiable Emissions Intensity and Transparency. So it's not a surprise why they call it the PREVIT Act, because that's kind of a mouthful. They know their acronyms. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, I I love the acronyms. Sometimes it's like PREVIT. You know, the phrase PREVIT kind of vibes with the bill. I wonder who is coming up with these, like, truly. I was to say, Hannah, you used to be be a staffer. Did you just sit around and, like, come up with acronyms all day long and then, like, try to find words to spell out that acronym when people were writing bills? Or is it just, like, a stroke of genius? How does that happen? I have no idea. Because, honestly, the things that I did on the Hill were not, not related to acronyms. I actually never really did any acronym stuff because I feel like lawmakers sometimes they'll write their own bills but usually it comes from think tanks or from mm. i mean i did work for a think tank though so mm. yeah I'm, I'm gonna see if chat gpt can help us come up with acronyms for environmental yeah. uh, <laughs> let's 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 give that a shot come on chat gpt like the yeah, right yeah, oh the, the oh come on these are lame well, this one's kind of cool. Green Earth Bill, Global Responsibility for Environmental Action, Nature, and Harmony. See, what what Jet GBT cook? They're doing something over there. And now I'm going to have write a bill. Yeah, I'm, now I'm going to have it write the bill, and I'm going to send it to Congress. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're doing that. Would not be surprised. Actually, you know, DeSantis dropped out of the presidential race. Totally did not see that coming. Let our thoughts on that. When he launched his campaign and it was on X.com with Elon Musk and there was all those technical problems and it was super yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. I would have just dropped out of the race right there. But that uh, Oh yeah, true. Yeah, I didn't change my name and left town. They never would have seen me again. I was telling Zach earlier, I was like, I wonder if he was bribed. I don't want to put that evil out there, but I thought he did pretty good in Iowa and I could have said that it was gonna be DeSantis and Trump till the end. So hey. I'm just saying that's a little sus. That's a little weird. Think it is Biden his time until 2028. 
He's just a Biden, Biden his time. He's Biden his time. Biden oh his time. All right, you heard it here, Green Tea Party fans. I was really hoping there was going to be a Republican candidate that wasn't Donald Trump. I know. I was telling Zach, get back to the Libertarian for the third presidential year in a row. Don't know who's running Libertarian, but it's not Trump, but it's not Biden. So, got my vote. So, Libertarian folks, if y'all want to go ahead and send me y'all's bumper sticker, I guess I've voted for y'all more than I have my own party when it comes to presidential elections. It's sad that we're having the same election that we had four years ago. I know. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the equivalent of copy the homework, but don't let the teacher know you copied it. Change it up a little bit. Every four years, we enter a new timeline. So it's not a cable event. Come on. But there goes most of my bets that I had placed about what will take place in November. So back to the drawing board. In graduate news, though, the March for Life has been, I think this past week, this for all you, which is hopefully everybody listening, pro-life fans, I hope you had a chance to go out to your state capitol or to your local civic establishment and let everybody know that you're pro-life. So yeah, that was a really awesome showing, and it was so cold where I was at. It was unbelievably cold in Arkansas. We went from having tornadoes to having blizzards this past week. Then we had more icy precipitation this morning, so I'm over it. So yesterday it was like super duper cold, below freezing, as we were all standing on the steps of the state capitol. But it got me thinking, as I looked around the crowd, that there's a lot of conservatives who are climate skeptics and pro-life, but being an environmentalist is a pro-life issue. Yep, I 100% agree with you. And I, I, whenever I go to pro-life things, I always try to start that conversation. And, you know, I have a hard time helping people make the connection between being pro-life and being an environmentalist. And even like for me, because I'm a vegan, mm-hmm. pro-life, veganism, they're logically consistent with each other, you know? I agree completely. And if you're looking for help on how to talk to people about pro-life and the climate movement well today's episode might just come in handy for you okay oh yes i have put together some bullet points here for you all about the the how climate change relates to quality of life and life as a whole and how it's inherently a pro-life issue first of all there's so many reasons why climate change and pro-life are connected to each other Katie, you did a great job on writing the show because I wasn't aware of a lot of these. And so I'm going to be kind of learning along with you. No problem. Um, Yeah, it kind of surprised me. Yeah. yeah. So I'll kind of go through this list and we'll talk through it as we go through it. And uh, all you folks at home or all you folks in the car or doing laundry and stuff like that can maybe add to this on our social media and on our website and help us kind of get a big pro-life climate list together for talking points the next time you go talk to somebody about this. But here are just a few of the ways that climate change negatively impacts your quality of life. As somebody who's pro-life, I believe that it's not just about being born. It's about the quality of life that you're going to live. And that, that means having, you know, a good quality life. Yeah, the other 99% of the love that... Right, right, right. right. Yeah, we can't always be pro better. We have to be pro-life. And so if, if being pro-life means supporting a, a great quality life... Well, climate change hinders that. And here are some of the ways that climate change does that. So heat-related illnesses. Makes sense when you hear this, but it didn't even dawn on me until I started doing a little bit of research. According to the World Health Organization, an estimated 166,000 people died globally in 2019 due to heat-related illnesses such as heat stroke and dehydration. First of all, that is insane to me to think. That is a huge amount of people. Yeah, I mean, like, 
speaking of heat related issues, like I love children and I adore them so much. And I spend a lot of time volunteering with kids like at eco friendly schools or domestic violence shelters and all that kind of stuff. And what brings, you know, children's the, just the light out of them? It's, mm-hmm. you know, playing outside, being outdoors, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Well, climate change is going to be taking that away from them. I'm sure all, every listener and Zach and Katie, you as well, can think about something that happened to you as a kid that was outdoorsy and you you probably liked going out to recess and all that kind of stuff. Well, imagine a future where it's too hot for children to be doing that because there's such a risk of heat-related illnesses, dehydration, heat stroke, and even death. That's so sad. It was just crazy to think that this is going to make me sound so old. Back in my day, before we had walk cells and iPads and skinny toilet, we did this thing called going outside. Touching the best, playing. And so, so many of my core childhood memories with my family are spent outside, like helping my grandfather in his garden, having a little backyard barbecue with my parents, burning wood in the chimney outside on the back porch. And to think that so many things that I considered like really crucial developmental childhood memories are no longer going to be a possibility just because of how freaking hot it is outside, that is mind blowing to me. That is just so sad. Yeah, imagine being in Arizona where it was like 100 degrees for like 20 days straight. I could not, I could not even imagine what that is like. Like here, at least here in Arkansas, uh, those like, it's always like 150% humidity. It does not matter the time of year. It is not like a hot, dry. It is like a a very moist, dry. It is gross. So I, yeah, you you really are. You are swimming through the air. So I can only imagine how much worse that dry heat is in arizona that's just got to be miserable and so back to the u.s there's an estimated by the epa of 1300 or 600 to 1300 deaths per year can from heat from heat related causes that is crazy that is so sad that is so like construction workers being outside working hard laboring and yeah or the people weather sorry i'm going i totally cut you off didn't mean to cut you off (laughs) (laughs) yeah no like labor of working 100 plus degree weather, like imagine working that condition, like like the amount of water you need to drink just to keep up and stay hydrated and like stay alive. I'm glad you brought that up because we're definitely going to delve into that after I get through some of the negative effects. But you've already kind of like, spoiler alert for later, climate change impacts the most vulnerable in society. And that includes blue collar and low income workers. So you've exactly pinpointed one of the pro-life issues related to climate change and that this is even more potent for people who are farming, ranching, construction work, manual labor, things of that nature, because those are the people that, you know, they're the ones outside. So the, more on that coming up later. Then another thing that kind of scared me as I read about it, I had read about this in college, but it's even scarier now that we've seen the repercussion of diseases that spread very quickly, but vector-borne diseases. So climate change contributes to the spread of vector-borne diseases like malaria and various types of fevers spread by insects. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, scary, scary stuff. Warmer temperatures and changes in precipitation patterns create real favorable environments for um, disease-carrying vectors, think mosquitoes for the most part, for them to breed because they need the water to lay eggs in. And when you've got a bunch of water sitting around from floods and it's always warm outside like 10 months of the year, yeah, you've got a higher chance for getting bit by a mosquito that carries God knows what. Uh, yes. So the, the World Health Organization estimates that climate change could lead to an additional 250,000 deaths per year 
between 2030 and 2050. Is that insane? Yeah, and if you're pro-life and you are, you know, I, 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 sorry to bring up MLK because it was MLK weekend. I love the quote that he gave about how if you are indifferent, that that's like the worst evil, you know? Like if you're pro-life and you're indifferent to climate change, are you really pro-life, you know? 150,000 people dying. Yeah, that's people nuts. Dying. That is yeah. nuts. Terrifying. One thing that people don't know is that COVID-19, the pandemic, was actually related to anthropogenic climate change because as the world gets warmer, these tropical diseases that are restricted to tropical latitudes can move further north to where there's larger population centers. So mm. if we didn't have an anthropogenically warmed world to like during the COVID-19 pandemic, it's unlikely that COVID would have ever been able to survive in the conditions of the United States. That is crazy. Here, here's something else I found out the the scary way, which is just going to the vet. But for all you anime lovers out there, Hannah, take note. When I was a kid, I vividly remember, and maybe, who knows, my parents just weren't that good of pet owners, that our vet was like, yeah, you just give them heartworm medicine from like, like your dogs or even like some parasite medicines for your cats and other animals. You just give it to them from April through October because that's what it's hot outside. Now, if you go to the vet, I was talking to my vet the other day and she was like, you have to give heartworm medicine year round now. Not just because that's medically better for them, but our temperatures on average have gotten so much higher for such a longer period that your pets can get bit by mosquitoes that carry heartworms at any given time. Or they can become susceptible to parasites that are climate related. That is Dang, year so round. Is that not so sad? Yeah, and our listeners know how much we are diehard cat lovers. So <laughs> that is like shattering my heart right now. Yeah, you yep, if you can't fight climate change for anything else, you darn well better do it for Walter the cat. Walter, Walter and her kittens. kittens. Walter and her kittens, please. We we're depending on you listeners. Yeah, can I purchase from another direction? The melting of permafrost in the Siberia and the Arctic could release more diseases that we haven't really accounted before. I read something about that. Frozen. Yeah, bonic plague's been found in frozen permafrost. Yeah. Terrifying of that coming back yeah, out. These are di- yes. And these are diseases that affected the dinosaurs. Like, mm-hmm. we definitely don't have immunity to that, you know? I think I read a study about that not too long ago that was like, we're about to, as permafrost does, we run the risk of releasing a bunch of parasites and diseases that our immune systems aren't as familiar with as they were how many ever many thousands of years ago when those diseases and parasites were originally frozen. So our, our immune systems are going to be doing burpees here soon uh, oh, yeah. because of climate change. So you know, everybody's no immune system. Yeah, no. no one likes being sick. And being <laughs> sick affects people differently. And that's very sad. Anyway, sorry, I'm just, I'm getting all angry. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's actually... Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually, yeah, that's actually an inside way because air quality leads to respiratory issues. And Hannah, I'm sure this is something that you can talk about as oh, somebody yeah. who's, yep, who's from Utah about how increased temperatures and changes in weather patterns contribute not only to, to air pollution, but can sometimes make the air so dry that it's just so hard for your respiratory system to keep up with not only all the junk in the air, but the quality of the air outside of pollution. So mm-hmm. the American Lung Association says that Climate change is exacerbating air quality issues and leading to more cases of asthma and other respiratory diseases every year nationwide. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Utah's mm-hmm. pretty bad already. And like, 
I mean, it's funny because I, I, I'm a runner and I love running and it, it really is like a huge lift for me during the day. But there are some days that I don't get to do that. And actually, sometimes it will be for like weeks on end where the air quality in Salt Lake is so bad. And in fact, in one of my classes, my environmental health class, we had a medical doctor come in and say, if you want to have kids, you want to raise them so that they have fully developed lungs, developed lungs, you have to do everything you can to prevent climate change. And also he suggested moving outside of Salt Lake because of how bad the air quality was. He said that if I had children here in Salt Lake, their lungs would not properly develop. That is crazy. how bad the air quality is here. That is insane. That's like going back to like when you had tuberculosis, you like went to like Italy or somewhere like in the mountains and just like, mountain air and hope for the best like we're reverting back to that yeah and like in tandem with those like diseases like covid was a respiratory disease and Mm -hmm. i'm sure that poor air quality does not help when you have a respiratory illness i mean yeah if y'all thought covid sucked if y'all thought covid sucked let me tell you dude i had covid three times if I get it another time, I think I get, like, I've scratched everything off on the scratch card. You get a free burger or something. <laughs> but, like, if, if I have to do that again with air quality any worse than what we already have, I'm going straight in the ground, bro. I'm going to be all living in a hobbit hole or an underground bunker or something. Because that was just, oh. that was miserable. That was but, so sad. Yeah, for sure. But, unfortunately, if things can spread by air, guess what? They can spread by water, too. So, that means that changes in precipitation patterns and rising temperatures can impact water quality. And so things like cholera and diarrheal diseases are often linked to contaminated water sources. And the World Health Organization reports that climate change could lead to an increase in these waterborne diseases, which are absolutely, you know, going back to kids, like what you talked about earlier, Hannah, I did not realize this until I became a certified doula. Kids become dehydrated so fast. And that's why you've got to be especially careful with them whenever they're sick to their stomachs. Because, you know, if you're already not drinking water, you can't keep water down and you're a little killed, you get dehydrated even faster and it just snowballs even worse. So it's kind of sad that especially in these more than kind of sad, it's really sad that especially in these areas that we see like Africa that are already clinging to life by a thread. If they get hit with waterborne diseases worse than what they've already experienced, it can literally mean life and death yeah oh my gosh that's so sad okay my heart is like kind of being torn out of my chest right now but that's i mean all these things are really scary right Mm -hmm. and i don't really want to scare our listeners into action but sometimes it helps and you know and i think it's important for us to remember that there are things that we can do to prevent this kind of stuff right and i think it's also worth noting that you know we don't tell you the stuff to scare you just to scare yeah. you. The media will do that because that's their favorite thing to do. Oh, but I would rather you hear about this on the front end and still have time to do something about it and prevent it than hear about it on the back end after it's too late and go, man, I wish I'd known that when we could have done something about it instead of knowing now that there's nothing we can do about it. So it's time to yeah. do something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let this motivate you to do something while you still can. And I feel like weaponizing people with the right knowledge and education can really make a huge difference and so we're not trying to you know keep you guys up at night by yeah, we're not fear mongering we're letting you yes. know the different ways that you can tackle those so i think that my, and here's katie soapbox cue the theme music and then thank you i think that media does such a well they do a good job at doing a bad thing 
They yeah. fear monger and they terrify you and they pretty much paralyze you with fear. They don't tell you how to follow up and fix the thing you're terrified about and how to educate yourself. And like you said, Hannah, a weaponizing education. They don't tell you how to like, you know, okay, here's the problem. Here's what we can do about it. Go out into your community and inform people of what to do to prevent block A. So I think that one of the things that we try to accomplish with this show is, of course, you know, we'll tell you the spooky stuff. We'll tell you the sad stuff. But then we'll give you 10 different things that you can do about it. So, because that's our ultimate goal. We want to motivate you to make a difference, to say, hey, that sucks. I don't want that to happen. I'm going to go call my member of Congress. So, you know, that's the difference between us and hopefully everybody else. Anywho, end of the show box. So we've talked about air quality and water quality, things of that nature. I also wanted to talk about food security and nutrition. This is a big one for me right now because I'm working on finishing my master's degree and I'm having to talk a lot about food insecurity and community gardens and things of that nature. And one, that, one thing that I found in my research is that climate change affects food production. Not surprising there. It leads to crop yield changes and food availability. The World Food Program estimates that an additional 175 million people could be at risk due to hunger from climate change by 2030. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Cl climate change will shift the growing regions and we'll have to adjust where we're growing food. And in countries that don't have the large land mass across mm -hmm. longitudes that we do, they're going to be really impacted. Like Sub-Saharan Africa is going to be terribly impacted as the desertification continues to encroach on their growing regions in the Sahel. Well, it's going to cause massive migration into Europe. Oh, and don't don't quote me on this numbers wise, but even if you sit back and look at it, guess who this impacts? Farmers and ranchers. Guess what political alignment ninety percent of farmers and ranchers are? Conservative. Do something about this so you can save your livelihood and your family ancestry, your tradition of having a family farm for multiple generations by doing something about climate change. Here in Arkansas, I know so many families, including my own who have let me know, hey, we've had this farm for three or four generations, and our yield is so bad, we're in so much debt that we're just having, we got to sell it. We've got no other thing, like, th this is no longer a farm. Right, right, and then God knows what will happen to it then, but that's your only way out. So let that motivate you to make a difference in the, you know, climate change events around you. And yeah. go ahead, go ahead, Zach. So the, the unpredictability of of weather patterns, precipitation across the country will change. Like it's going to make it much harder. You're either going to get like no rain and drought, or you're going to get like flooding rains and it'll like wash everything out, which is terrible for growing crops. Right. And I, I, I feel like this is the area to clarify maybe some things that people aren't exactly as educated about. If it rains one day and snows the next, that's called weather. But if it's supposed to be 30 degrees in January and the whole month of January is 50 degrees, 60 degrees, 70 degrees, that's climate. Climate is, you know, the, the weather pattern. Hey, there was a good chance that this is going to be the average temperature and the average weather this time of year. But when you've got like here in Arkansas, we had blizzards one day, tornadoes the next day, blizzards again, rain followed by sea, and now it's going to be 60 degrees tomorrow. That's not a predictable weather pattern that's caused by climate change. Yeah. So, and that's exactly what we're dealing with right now. Literally a week and a half ago, tornadoes, Thursday night, five inches of snow, Sunday through Tuesday. Then it rained. Then last night we had sleet. Today we had rain. It was seven degrees like Monday. And now it's going to be 67 degrees tomorrow. 
So that that's not normal. That is climate change. So exactly as you said, Zach, leads into this next point. So a lot of the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events like hurricanes, floods, wildfires, tornadoes, all these things are on the rise. Just look at where I'm living here in the southeast. You can have one every single week if you're not careful. And these events obviously result in a lot of property damage, a lot of displacement, a lot of disruption to healthcare services and injuries and death. Yeah, I mean, I did a project on Hurricane Katrina, mm. and I modeled... So first of all, Hurricane Katrina, everyone knows that one of the big problems with it was kind of the disaster management wasn't the greatest, and then also mm -hmm. all the levee systems broke. The town was built on like a really, like a bull-shaped landscape that mm -hmm. really filled up real quick with water, right? Yeah, um, not, not smart on the, the higher level there. And one thing is we don't know how many cities and towns are, you know, are built on landscapes and kind of had a geography that primes them to be especially vulnerable to these kinds of weather events, especially since a lot of these cities and towns have never experienced things like hurricanes or tornadoes before. And now that hurricanes are moving further north, it's Honestly, with the, the the research on tornadoes, there's not enough research on how climate change affects tornadoes. There is evidence to prove that they're 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 a little bit longer and they're a little bit more frequent, but there's not that's not like completely settled science. But hurricanes, we know a lot about hurricanes. We know they're moving further north and they're getting really, really big and they're spending more time on land and then going back out to the ocean, recharging, and then making landfall again. So yeah. But, I mean, think about it. Ian went almost all the way out to Canada. The Canadian people have no idea how to handle a hurricane. I'm glad you said that, Hannah, because four years ago in August of 2020, I was just thinking about this yesterday. Arkansas, landlocked Arkansas, was hit by the tail end of the hurricane. I, I don't, I don't remember which one it was. It was that whatever was in the fall of 2020. Well, we ended up shutting down work that morning so that everybody could go home. That's how bad the tropical storm system was. I mean, through Arkansas, a landlocked state, we were getting hit with stuff from that hurricane. It was just the craziest thing ever. Hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, you name it, we got it. And it's because of climate change. It's nuts. That's so sad. That's so scary. Mm -hmm. It's the no man's land here in the natural state, everybody. So... Unfortunately, as you can imagine, and Hannah, if I had a, a shot counter for every time we've said, oh man, that's so sad, that's so unfortunate, that's so sad, we'd probably be passed out right now. But yeah. at that point, so the last point that I've got here in my notes, which is the mental health impacts of climate change. So a lot of climate change related events have significant mental health impacts, including anxiety, depression, PTSD. Uh, the American Psychological Association highlights the psychological toll of natural climate disasters and climate-related events. I know even here in Arkansas, we got hit with a devastating tornado in the capital city this past March, March of 23, and there are still service groups, public service groups, counseling groups that are going through the neighborhoods where these tornadoes hit and not doing anything other than sitting on the steps, the, the front steps of these houses and talking with the people inside because a lot of these people can't afford mental health counseling can't afford psychiatry or prescriptions and so a lot of these volunteer groups of mental health professionals will just go to these houses and just talk to people and there are so many kids who don't know how to grapple with i woke up and went to school this morning and when i came back home i had no house and so it's just when we're seeing it every single year several times a year at least here 
and Arkansas because the Tornado Valley has shifted from the west in Oklahoma to literally right across the center part of the state. So that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, that's Bye. so sad. Okay, so, Katie, <laughs> what do we do about this? Well, I'm glad you asked, Hannah. There are several aspects. Let me let me back up a little bit. There are several different things that we can do to make sure that we do our best to combat climate change and remember that this is part of the pro-life movement as we do it. So obviously one of the first things that we want to do is advocate for the protection of human health. And so that means raising awareness surrounding environmental degradation and pollution because those things have direct consequences on human health. So by advocating to your local government and your members of Congress for a clean and sustainable environment, environmentalists can continue to contribute to safeguarding the health and well-being of the current and future generations, which obviously, you know, that aligns with the pro-life movement's focus on preserving and improving human life. But another thing that we can do is address the impacts of climate change. So obviously, you know, based on the list that we just talked about above, climate change poses significant threats to human life, whether that's extreme weather or the spread of diseases and the decrease in air quality. So by actively working to mitigate climate change, you know, again, finding bills that work for the area that you're in, bills that might appeal to your members of Congress, stellar bills, wind bills, whatever it is, you can help contribute to the creation of a safer and healthier world. Obviously, this resonates with the pro-life movement's commitment to preventing harm and promoting a flourishing life. And I'm just going to go through this list and hey, y'all don't have to contribute. We'll just power it through it. Yeah. Obviously, another one that's a real big thing for me right now is ensuring food security. And no, it's not just because I'm 400 pounds. It's because people need to eat food and they need to eat nutritious, healthy food. So obviously, when you've got a degrading environment... That can cause soil depletion, water pollution, a lack of water, too much water, um, and that can impact food quality and production, especially for the folks that need it the most. And environmentalists in particular can really strive to promote sustainable agriculture, protecting ecosystems, smart land management and development in order to make sure that the global food chain is more secure. This can also mean making sure that produce in your area isn't wasted, that the food that you bring to food banks when food pantries is nutritious food, that it will last a little while, or that your food bank has an area where they can keep fresh and green produce. This can mean creating a community garden. All of these things align with the pro-life movement's emphasis on the intrinsic value and worth of every human life. We can also continue to create sustainable communities and push for the creation of sustainable communities. That can mean promoting clean energy, promoting the rewiring of the grid to be more efficient, reducing waste, recycling, composting, fostering sustainable development practices. All of these efforts help with the creation of environments where individuals can live and thrive. Again, that's a core principle of the pro-life movement. And as I'd mentioned earlier, Zach, promoting equality is a big part of this. A lot of environmental issues end up disproportionately affecting the most vulnerable in our society. It's often the poor, blue-collar folks, low-income folks, displaced peoples, people who don't have a home, a lot of voiceless people, children, folks who get lost in the system are often the most impacted by climate change and climate change side effects. So by addressing all these environmental injustices and advocating for equitable access to resources and opportunity, a lot of environmentalists can contribute to a more just and compassionate society. A compassionate, pardon me, society. Again, one of the pro-life movement's emphasis on dignity and the worth of every individual. So 
in my opinion, and hopefully you guys are thinking the same thing by now after hearing all of this, both the pro-life movement and environmentalism share a common long-term perspective. A lot of environmentalists work towards ensuring a sustainable planet for future generations, emphasizing the interconnectedness of human and ecological well-being. And that vision aligns perfectly for me with the pro-life movement's concern for the legacy that we leave for our children and grandchildren. Yeah, as I'd said earlier, I think it does no good to advocate for children not to be aborted if they're going to grow up in a neighborhood where they don't have clean water, they don't have clean air, nobody can grow any food. It just it makes no sense to bring a child into the world and then not advocate for them to live the healthiest life imaginable. So it's a no-brainer that being an environmentalist is a pro-life issue and it shouldn't be red and blue. I think today was just one big soapbox for me. No, I've had that one cooking for a while. It was thank you. I was thinking about that one at the steps of the state capitol yesterday. So yeah, all you pro life folks, you know what you need to do. When people are given the right information, they tend to make better decisions. Being able to point this to people and be like connecting pro life issues to environmental issues allows people to live in a more consistent and principled way. The green movement, the climate movement, this is all one of the many pieces of the pro-life movement as a whole. Like, you should already be concerned about this, exactly what you were just saying, Hannah. I think that when a lot of people think pro-life, they think not aborting babies. But there is so much more to it than that. Making sure that you have a healthy, green, safe, sustainable, independent environment that you can, you know, you're caring for God's creation, you're tending to the land just like your ancestors did if you live in this country. Good chance you had an ancestor who was a farmer. Uh, I mean, this is just one of the greatest ways to honor your ancestors and provide for your future generations. It's the most pro-life thing I can think of by giving them a healthy, sustainable planet. 100%. Katie, you are so well spoken. (laughs) Thank you. How can you tell that I've gotten mad and said this in the shower like 400 times to my imaginary audience at my presidential podium? Educate those shampoos. Absolutely, though. Those shampoos are the most determined climate advocates in the world that are so pro-life. They're all loyal voters. But until I run for president, and until you run for president, gang, here's some action steps that you can do to get started. You don't need a new president to stop climate change. Here's some things you can do before then. My favorite action step to tell people to do, write to your member of Congress. I cannot stress this enough. I want you doing it every single week. Don't get upset about possibly annoying them. Make them earn that $174,000 they make every single year like we talked about last week. Write to your member of Congress. Call your member of Congress. Write lunch to the editor that mentioned your member of Congress. So super easy to do it. Write to your member of Congress. Let them know that if they're pro-life, they need to be concerned about the environment too. Two ways to do that. You can go to house.gov and enter your zip code to find your member of Congress in the House of Representatives. If you go to senate.gov and click find your senators, you can select your state to find your members of Congress in the Senate chamber. Write to your members of Congress. Don't just scream on TikTok and tweet about it. Write to your members of Congress. And write to them in a way that's that's going to make them listen. That's one thing I... Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't write to them and say, Hi, Senator Well, I hate you, and I think you should be very, very pro-climate change. Thank you, Katie in Arkansas. No. Be nice when you write to them, but let them know that you are concerned as a young conservative who's pro-climate and pro-life. And that, let me tell you, man, that will perk some heroes up on Capitol Hill. I've noticed every time I string those words together, you're ticking a whole lot of boxes when you say that. Because a lot of conservatives in office these days 
really care about that young voter block. So be sure to let them know who you are and what your concerns are. Go to Twitter and tweet us at GTPR Radio Show and tell us how you navigate global discussion and how you are pro-life and pro-free environment. And I think we should continue to strive to and secure biodiversity and make sure all the wild animals have a place to live in our world. For you, our listener, email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank you for listening to Green Tea Party Radio. And a very special thank you to all of our patrons, because we just couldn't do this without you. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes, as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsor. I say it as a joke at the end of every episode, but we were not sent by George Soros to terrorize your parents, I promise. We're just a bunch of young... (laughs) Young college-age kids. We're not sleeper cell organizations. We're literally just three conserving climate friends who came together and created a radio show. So we're building a movement because we want the world to know that young conservatives have important things to say about climate change. Oh, yeah. We have a lot of things to say about climate change. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of things to say about climate change. Lots of episodes coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you want to hear our show on your college radio station, email us at info@greenteapartradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. The email, again, is info@greenteapartradio.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate you. Great episode, Katie. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.